on this week's edition of flying high, the Philly fans perspective. We're looking around the league in the NFL. The rest of the NFC East was playing while the birds head off. We're also going to be giving midterm grades to the Eagles, letting them know how the season is going. We'll be touching a little bit of college football as well. Temple lost a tough one against UCF and then covering the Sixers struggles on the road versus their successes at home. A little bit of Flyers and Phillies in there as well. Send requests. Play us in. All right, welcome in to another edition of Flying High. This is the Philly fans' perspective. Big news, actually. We were accepted onto the iTunes podcast network or store, whatever you call that. So you can find us not only online, we have our podcast streaming, but you can also find us on iTunes. So make sure you go there, download the podcast, and subscribe. Leave a nice message for us. Let us know if you like the podcast. So congratulations, Justin. We did it. Good news on bye week. Yeah, you know. Right. And as if it couldn't get any better, the Redskins get crushed. The Cowboys get crushed. Is there anything better than that? Oh, I love it. I love it. That was a perfect Sunday night treat. You know, uh, waking up on Sunday when when there's no birds game, it's always like the worst feeling, especially, um, you know, there was not much else going on that day. So, um, you know, we had the Sixers later on that night, but it's always waking up on a day when there's no birds. It's, it's depressing. So to get uh, the only thing you kind of had to look forward to is, is looking around the league and seeing what the other uh, teams are doing. And so seeing that always, yeah, definitely gets you amped up for, for birds and uh, Cowboys week. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It does. And I don't know if it was just this week in particular or every bye week where like, most weeks I love watching the NFL and I really enjoy uh, the other games. There's typically good games on. It just felt like this week. I don't know if the games weren't as competitive or or exactly what it was, but I just couldn't really get myself focused on any game. I think it was just because this is a big year for the birds and, and a really big week where not having them on felt like a, a letdown for certain. Yeah, I think trying to think about what the one o'clock games are, you know, in Philly, it was um, Baltimore and, and Pittsburgh, which was, was an OK game. Um, and then I, I can't remember what the other one o'clock game was. Um, but yeah, neither of them were neither of them were like awesome games. And then we had the four o'clock game, the 425 game, which was awesome. The, uh, yeah, the, that, one, the that one was great. L.A. and uh, the Saints game was was sick. So that you got to see a little bit of a fireworks, um, you know, show there, but yeah, I agree. The one o'clock games couldn't really get into it. Definitely not. Definitely not. But the good news, the bye week is over and we got some good news uh, regarding the injuries this week. Um, Timmy Jernigan has been cleared to practice. It doesn't sound like he's going to be playing this week, which is uh, you can't blame him for not being able to play, but he was finally cleared to practice. So the defense is getting a really big piece back on that line, which is going to be clutch with Barnett going out. So getting Jernigan back is huge. And then it also was announced that DeAndre Carter was waived, which can only lead us to believe that uh, Darren Sproles is coming back soon. Um, possibly even this week in that punt return 
position. So I don't really know how I feel about them waving Carter. I understand that they uh, needed the roster spot for Sproles, but I thought that he was really performing well and, and a crucial part of this special teams. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like they're trying to squeeze out the absolute last bit of damage Sproles that there is possible. I mean, he's missed half the season with a hamstring. I mean, and you get to a certain point and your body just can't take this grind anymore. And I think that's where Sproles is at. He debated coming back this year, even to play, you know, one more year. And, you know, he ends up getting injured, uh, wants to go out on a good note. But I think he's just, you know, he's just finding that uh, his, I don't think his body's going to be able to give him a whole lot more. They're doing him a solid, you know, obviously by, by letting him come back and, and play this last half and see what can happen. So, yeah, I, I hate to lose a young, quick guy like Carter, especially since he seems like he was holding his own there. So I don't know. We'll see. You sometimes they let guys go like that and bring them back on the practice squad. So uh, maybe he'll end up coming back. But I guess we got to see what, what Sproles is going to give us now. Yeah, if he can come back, um, even you know any part of what he used to be, it would be really nice to have Sproles back. Uh, making an impact and and perhaps making an impact in the running game as well because obviously they've been looking for a running back and and it's Sproles is almost forgotten in the conversation as they were looking for a running back to come um, through the trade deadline it was always Smallwood Clement and Adams and we just left out Sproles every time with him returning to the squad perhaps he can make an impact on the ground as well yeah I mean you certainly it couldn't hurt to add to the running back core right now. I really don't think, I mean, me personally, I really don't think you're going to be able to give him a ton of touches. Uh, I guess that's going to depend on his health and, and where he's kind of at with, with that hamstring. We're going to test him out, clearly. Um, I just don't know at this stage of the game with his age how many carries are realistically going to be able to give him. So, you know, uh, but unfortunately that's not up to you and me. It's up to Doug, so we'll see what he does. That it is, that it is, and just a few other roster moves. Um, not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, but they claimed a cornerback. It looks like it's Cravon LeBlanc. That would be my guess on how you pronounce that. They claimed him off the waivers, uh, cornerback from Detroit, and they released, I'm sorry, they waived Dexter McDougal, so they kind of made a cornerback swap. There's some crazy, I saw some crazy tweet the other day, and I thought I was doing a double take, but I think somebody mistakenly tweeted Jerome McDougal, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, Jerome McDougal, that's like a nightmare name. Don't bring that guy back. Good right? Lord. Well, there's just not been a good McDougal on this team. We don't want Jerome back, and I'm personally glad that Dexter's gone because he looked horrific in on all, all cylinders, um, in, in any action that he had with the birds. Now LeBlanc, it looks as if uh, he he's a young guy. He's 24. First two years were spent in Chicago, and it looked like his rookie season, he showed some promise. He had 44 tackles. He had two picks, and one of those went back for a touchdown, and he also had 10 passes defended. So it, it looked like he had some promise. This was 2016. He was a 22-year-old rookie. And then all of that productivity went down uh, last season. He played in 15 games, but he only started one of them, and he only had 15 tackles and, and nothing on in terms of interceptions. And then this season with Detroit, he hasn't started a game, and he only played three before they waived him. 
So whether he can produce that kind of um, that those rookie year numbers, I'm not certain. But if he can do like and half of that production, he's going to be topping what McDougal was doing for certain. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's just a you know, obviously it's just, it's just like a depth roster move at this point. Um, they're trying to, I was trying to give them some, some just some added depth to you know, get through these last eight games. Uh, you know, if somebody is, ends up getting hurt, obviously the trade deadline is, is gone now. So teams had their chances to load up. Teams had their chances to make moves. So um, it's really just a move to kind of shore up any, any areas of weakness you might have and give us, you know, an opportunity maybe to kick some play. We'll see. So, and with, when it comes to defense, when it comes to the secondary, he's probably thinking, you know, the more the merrier, the more options we have, probably the better. Yeah, he definitely is. And also, I, I saw that uh, Jalen Mills and Sidney Jones are still uh, week to week, so they're definitely going to need some depth in that secondary. Um, they also signed defensive tackle T.Y. McGill. Just another one of those, uh, I guess, depth moves for the defensive line. Um, especially in that Timmy Jernigan is probably not going to be able to play uh, this week, but just adding that depth, strengthening the run defense and trying to help out in the secondary. So with that, I think it's time that we give the Eagles some midterm grades. What do you say? All righty. So we're halfway through the season. Uh, You know, the follow-up to the Super Bowl champion season, it's, it's, the expectations and the hopes were so high that perhaps we set our goals unrealistically as we touched on last week with how difficult it is to come back and win back-to-back Super Bowls. But uh, four and four so far, um, a few big losses, but they've they've toughed it out and we're four and four heading into the game against Dallas this Sunday. So first off, through these eight games, Justin, what do you give them? I mean, they're a solid B right now. Uh, they're, they're a B, and at times they've been a B minus. I'm not really willing to go, you know, too too far below that. You know, you felt like in those uh, two games, the Titans game and the Carolina game, you wanted to give the defense a big fat F, right? But like we talked about last week, they're they're performing at a at a similar level as last year. So they're a B. That's what they are. They're they're a decent team right now. It's kind of figuring it out. They've had some injuries. It's incredibly hard to repeat in the NFL. And, you know, you know, it's just so teams react. Teams, you know, have film on you now. Teams start to know what Doug likes to do. So, and, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to the coaches in a second, but, uh, you know, Doug is, is another guy who I look at has, he's a B in my opinion. You know, he, he has, he's had some vanilla play calls uh, early on in the season through the first half of the season. And, um, I just don't think he's really gotten back to where he was last year. So it almost seems like he's second-guessing him at himself at times. So everything right now is just kind of – they're kind of just meh right now. You know, they're, they're, they're a B-level team or, or a grade B team. But the good news is, is that that's with them, like, looking like they're playing bad by the eye test, right? So um, if they start to pick it up and get some wins, that, that grade's going to go up. Yeah, I uh, I guess I set my expectations too high, definitely going into the season, because I am giving them a C on the season so far. They just strike me as a team that's just skirting by, and they're very fortunate to not be in a worse situation. They they did not dominate any game this season. They It went down to the wire against Atlanta and against Indianapolis, and really... 
the loss at the Titans and at the Panthers showed me that while I think they're getting better at it, they were not able to put their foot on the gas pedal and just step on teams' throats. And I think from a Super Bowl champion, you should have that killer instinct. Uh, whether they weren't hungry enough and they were still hung over from the Super Bowl win, who knows? But this seemed like a squad that just, if, if we were talking about actual studying, they did the bare minimum to pass. And that's a C in my book. So they're middle of the pack in both total offense. They're 15th in the league in total defense. They're 17th in the league. And, you know, I just expected better from them, I guess. And, and, it's yeah. turning it's turning around, but even some of the decision making out of our boy Carson in that that Panthers game, I know that it was a growing experience for him, but that really could end up stinging at the end of the season if it comes down to a one game decision. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think you're. You know, we're we're off by one grade in in our grades, but I mean, I could very easily be a C in my book. They they just screen average in a lot of ways right now, and especially, you know, outside of the quarterback position, obviously, because quarters, Carson is, by the numbers, playing very well, even though he's had some pretty brutal mistakes out there. He, you know, he's kind of the exception right now. Um, but everywhere else, yeah, they're just kind of just kind of average right now. So through, the good news is that we got eight more games to, to figure it out, but I'm with you. It's not been what we hoped for. It's not been what we expected. I think coming into this year, I mean, there was every reason to believe that they were going to be better. So to see them kind of perform at this level that seems, you know, un- beneath them uh, was a little bit concerning. I wouldn't go with you. I wouldn't say it was alarming, but there's, you know, a little bit concerning. So, yeah, C, B minus in that area. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if I was just spoiled in the last time that, you know, a champion came through Philadelphia. It was a team that, won the world series and then got right back to the world series. And they were just always in that, you know, top level. They made it back to the NLCS then. And it just, it just felt like the Eagles did not come out as strong. Like it just, we'll, we'll get over it, but it was a C. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you had that expectation. That's what winning does winning, you know, you, you, you get that, that hunger to keep winning. Right. But it's, it would, it's one thing if there's a, if the team has like a total tear down during the off season, which this team didn't have there. The expectation wasn't unreasonable. So to, for them to be six and two right now, or, you know, seven and one, five and three, whatever, anything's better than four and four, but thank God, you know, they're still in it, which is crazy because this division's awful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and perhaps the fans were more hungry than the players to, to start the season, we're just a <laughs> fan base that can't can't win enough. I don't know. You know, it's an interesting thing because I've never I've never been in that position. You know, I've been an af- a Division One athlete, but I, I've never been on a Division One athlete in team sport where you're you're playing at that high level and you taste victory. You know, what does that do psychologically to you? These guys are getting paid millions of dollars. You know. I think we we want to sit here and we want to believe that they're coming back hungrier than ever. I believe that about guys like Carson, but you have to ask, you know, you certainly have to ask the question, do you come back hundred percent motivated? You know, you heard what Jason Kelsey said last year and he kind of echoed the sentiments of the team and how they all felt disrespected. Um, was that the same after they won? I don't, it's a good question. 
you know, and I don't know if you're ever really going to get a straight answer out of them because for a man to, you know, look a reporter or anybody in the face and say, I'm not as hungry, he would just catch so much flack from the city that I don't think you would get that straight answer. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for, for some of the, some of those conversations that the, some of those guys are having, but you know, I'll, I'll live in my bubble and I'll, I'll just think that it's a product of just a really competitive league where teams don't stay on top for long. And I'm going to stick with that until I prove not prove otherwise. Absolutely. And on that note, we're going to give a grade that uh, kind of is uplifting. So the biggest upside or surprise that you didn't see coming this season that that's working well for the birds. I have to say Zach Ertz. I mean, I think we've been waiting for Zach Ertz's uh, breakout for, I don't know, three, three or four seasons now, and you're finally seeing it. I mean, he's on pace for, I think, 1400, over 1,400 yards, over 100 catches. I mean, he, he's, getting, he's putting up monster numbers right now, and I don't just say that because he's on my fantasy team. Uh, but uh, he's, he's the best. If he's not the best tight end in football, he's right there. So, I mean... In my mind, it's him and Travis Kelsey. You know, Gronk is Gronk, but you know he's he hasn't been Gronk for a couple of seasons now, and he's always hurt. So I mean, it's it's Ertz and Kelsey right now that those guys are just dominating it. And without Zach Ertz, where would this team be? Uh, not four and four. That's for certain. That is for certain. They'd probably be lucky if they have two wins. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just been an absolute monster. I mean, they always say tight end is a quarterback security blanket, but he's like a receiver, dude. I mean, he he, he can take it down the seam. I mean, he can work it in, in the, the slot at times. He's just, he's a do-all. I love that guy, and I'm glad that he's finally getting the recognition that he deserves and having a great season. No doubt, no doubt. He's, he's killing it for my fantasy team as well, so much love to Zach Ertz. Um, for me... I I had put just as a surprise, it was DeAndre Carter because I thought he was playing really well in the punt return game, but uh, he's been waived. So apparently that that answer is now invalid. So I guess I guess I would go with the run defense um, and more so Michael Bennett's uh, his presence to keep this this defensive line glued together. He's been attacking the quarterback and, you know, aside from a few questionable, very, very questionable um, roughing the passer calls, Michael Bennett's one of the only guys you see constantly in that backfield. And I expected a lot from him. I thought he was going to be a great player, but with the injuries that were happening and the lack of production out of, you know, a Chris Long or, or that those, those guys who were or the lack of Timmy Jernigan, I feel like Michael Bennett has really stepped up and and answered the challenge in Philadelphia. Oh, I totally agree. He's an absolute animal. I mean, aside from his questionable shoulder pad configuration, I don't really have <laughs> the issue with uh, what, what, what he's done. You know, he, he I know there was some concern about him coming in because he's, you know, he's, he's an outspoken guy. And, uh, you know, personally, none of that really bothered me at all. Um, and you can see he's the kind of guy, kind of guy that people like in the locker room. He's, um, he's well-liked. Uh, he's, he's kind of like that lead by example guy on the field. And yeah, he's just been, he's been great for that defense. Um, and I don't know what his snap share is, uh, and, and how much he's played, but I know that when he gets in there, he makes his reps count. So, I mean, that's really all you can ask from, for, for from him. Absolutely. And I, I agree that I, I 
I don't know what's going on with his shoulder pads, but I guess that makes him tougher than all of us because he's using like kickers shoulder pads to play defensive line. And that's just not something I would ever think of doing, you know, when tackling NFL size players. But, I, he, he might, I honestly looks like he walked in there the first day and he was like, you know what? Give me the punter stuff. I'm going to wear that. You know? I love it. I love it. It's that kind of mental toughness that we need to see out of all of our players. And, and that's the kind of attitude that's going to, you know, bring home victory in 17 nothing games. But yep. that's the upside. We'll flip it back down to, we could say the worst flaw or where it's gone wrong, but we could also spin that positively and say just a place that needs to improve the most for the birds. Uh, the offensive line. You know, the offensive line needs to get better. Uh, obviously, they've, you know, they've had some injuries. Um, I, it just seems like at times they're not operating as a unit. So, I mean, they're allowing a ton of pressure on Carson, which we talked about last week is going to get him killed. So I really need them to come out of this bye week and just have it, get it all together and start, you know, playing as a unit. Um, we have to hope that Peter stays healthy. Uh, we, we don't know. I, I'm, I'm assuming Lane is not going to play this week. And if he doesn't, hopefully nah, he's, he'll be he's out. He's out okay. for uh... – Almost a month. Oh, it's, okay, so I last I heard it was like one to two games. Maybe it was going to miss, and now it's going to be a month. So yeah. that is going to that <laughs> is going bad. So I'm they're going to bring in Samalu. Uh, I believe they're talking Big V uh, Vitai. Vitai. So Vitai is going to come in, and you know Vitai, he's he's proven he can be okay. That's um, what I'm thinking. Uh, now, there's uh, there was a lot of talk that he was not playing and performing as well um, this season all the way back to training camp. But I have to think that if he was able to pull it together for a playoff run, including, uh, you know, an appearance in a Super Bowl, that he's going to get his stuff together in the, in the upcoming weeks and, and answer the call. Yeah, what, I think what I was thinking about Sam Milo is what you don't want is Peters to then go out and then have – you know, Big V and Sam Mullen at the same time because I just don't think that's going to be very good for Carson. Um, and that's nothing against either of those two guys, but they're not Jason Peters or Lane Johnson. So I'm less worried about Big V than I would be Sam Milo. So we need to we need to hope that Peter stays healthy. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's just it's kind of same things as same thing as Sproles is that you can't really count on him being 100% healthy in any game. But he has fought through, and he hasn't really missed an entire game. He just goes out and snippets, so hopefully he can stay in there. Um, I would I would just say that the place that needs most improvement is going to be that secondary. Uh, 25th in the league in yards allowed, 24th in interceptions. This is a defense that isn't creating any turnovers um, through the air. They're not – I mean, I guess that could be accounted to the lack of pressure on the quarterback as well, but – you know, you need to generate turnovers to give your offense a chance, and they're not doing that. And with the second-ranked rushing defense in the league and that, that monstrous front four, Fletcher Cox has been playing unbelievable. Every week he continues to amaze me. So I really need the secondary. They don't need to step up to that same level as Cox because like, it's impossible for them to do that. They just don't have that kind of skill, and Fletcher's a one-in-a-kind player, to be honest. So we're lucky to have him up there. But I just want to see that secondary answer the call slightly and, and be half the man that Fletcher is. Doesn't help that Sidney Jones and Jalen are out. Doesn't help that 
really Jalen hasn't looked great all season. And it doesn't help that a guy like Ronald Darby will play like an all-star for three sets and then have a mental blunder that begins the meltdown that is blowing an entire game. So that's just a crew that I don't know if they can improve with the players that they have, but it, it starts in practice. So I'm hoping they took this bye week to work on some, some things and get ready for the second half of the season and rebuild their reputation. Yeah. I mean, totally agree with that. Um, yeah. You, you sometimes hear it a lot in hockey with, you know, sometimes you just don't get the bounces, right? You don't, the puck doesn't bounce your way. I think there's some probably some truth to that with the defense. They ha- they just haven't been able to come up with those turnovers. And I have to think that that's going to change a little bit. It might not, the curve might not straighten out a whole lot, but it has to, it's, I have to think it's going to straighten out a little bit in their, in their, in their advantage. So, you know, we need to see, we definitely need to see better play from the corners. hundred um, percent. Darby Mills. Um, you know, I think Jenkins is playing fine. And, uh, um, I'm blanking on who they put next to Jenkins at safety. Um, who, who who came in to replace? Uh, him? It was Avante Maddox. Yeah, he's. I mean, we talked about him last week. He's been awesome, so I, I think you keep him there. And then, you know, hey, if, if guys start to struggle, I, I don't think they're crazy about Russell Douglas, but you know, you gotta you gotta put him in there and see what he can do at, at some time at some point too. I mean, I think Darby. Darby's just that guy. He's going to give you three awesome plays. Like he's going to, he's going to get burnt on one play and then he's going to have an interception the next play. It's just the way the guy that he is. So you have to hope that he limits those bad plays and maximizes, you know, the good ones. And it's just, he's just, that's the gambler in him. That it is. And, and Maddox has played uh, very well last week, or I'm sorry, I guess it was last week. This is bye week. So it was last week against the Jags. He forced the turnover that changed the game, and that shows how when defense turns the ball or defense forces turnovers, the offense wakes up and it just kickstarts the entire game. And you need that kind of powerful interception or powerful turnover to to help boost that offense. And Maddox is one of those guys who can do it. So that's someone who you can look for in the second half of the season, like we said, uh, to really kickstart this defense going the right way. Now, eight games left. There are some big games coming up. What do you think is going to be the biggest win in the next eight games? You know, I've been looking at the, obviously the Rams game and the New Orleans game, but, and I think those are two of the biggest games that they have left on the schedule, obviously. But the more I think of it, one of those Washington's, one of those Washington games, I'm looking at that Monday night game, uh, December 3rd, uh, you know, with Washington coming here, that is a game they absolutely have to have. There's no two ways about it. They have to crush Washington in that game. They have to step on their throats and step on the throat of the division in doing so. And I think if they do that, that's going to send a huge message. They're going to beat Dallas this weekend. So they're going to beat the Giants when the Giants come on November 25th. So, by taking out Washington that game, I think that that will all but secure the division. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think you, you beat Dallas, you beat the Giants, sweep the Giants, and then you take that first game from Washington. I mean, that's 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 the season right there. So I mean, I'm looking hard at that Monday, that Monday December third game again with Washington coming here. Oh yes, uh, that is that is a humongous game. I was also going to say that game. Um, 
I will be in the stadium, section 229, uh, at the game Monday night. Uh, season tickets, thank you, Dad. Uh, for, for, uh, we, we picked this game early in the season because I can fly home, uh, you know, it seemed like it was either this game or the Panthers game that we were going to go to. And, uh, you know, who you, you know, that a division game is going to mean something. A lot of times, uh, the Redskins games haven't been as important, but this may be the biggest game against the Redskins in five years for this birds team. Um, so that, that's a humongous game being that you said that game, I'll just pick my backup game. I think that the game on the 23rd against the Texans could be a really important game. If it comes to what games they can afford to lose, they can't afford to lose to any division opponent. That's for certain. They have to beat every division opponent. But then they have a tough game against the Saints and a tough game against the Rams, and it feels like we might be overlooking the Texans, who are coming on very strong. Hopkins looks great. Watkins looks great. That's a game that you let that slip, and that's another one where, where, you know... You end up thinking that's the game that cost us the season. And I think that that's going to be a big win that they pull off at home, though, um, leading up to that last Redskins game. It's funny because I was thinking that exact same thing. I was looking at the schedule before we got started, and I was like, oh, man, that Houston game, it's in a weird spot. You know, it's like bringing up the rear. You look at Houston early on in the season, they seem fairly innocuous, right? Like you're like, ah, Deshaun Watson really struggling. But, yeah, they, they, they started to pull it together. They have – the best wide receiver in the game. Well, next to he's he's up there. He's top three. Him, he you is, know, he's um, killing my fantasy. He's killing it for fantasy. DeAndre Hopkins is right there with Antonio Brown and uh, you know and Odell Beckham. He's right there. So and he can absolutely kill a secondary. So and then and it just traded for oh, man. My my mind is not working. Yeah, it's Demarius Thomas, did, right? DT, yeah, right. To so just bring in him. So now they lost Will Fuller. And they bring in Demarius Thomas, and, and Demarius Thomas is not what he used to be, obviously, but he's, that still gives them a killer one-two punch. So if, if Deshaun Watson from last year shows up with those two guys at receiver and, you know, their they're, they're backfield, nothing to write about, write home about with Lamar Miller, but and they have a formidable defense. So that could be a trap game, depending on what they do with the Rams and, and, and the Saints, I, I personally, I don't know if we're going to talk about the rest of, of, the, of the season predictions and all, but I, I mean, I have them losing those two games. So I look at that Houston game as one they're going to have to have because if they need to go, in reality, they probably need to go six and two the rest of the way. I don't know if five and three will get it done at, um, at nine and seven. So we'll have to see, um, you know, what, uh, what happens there. I just think that they're going to have to, in order to really be safe, they're probably going to need to get to 10 and six. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. So that Texans game could be the, the biggest game of the season that day, probably because every game at this point is the biggest game of the season. You cannot have a letdown at any point. And that kind of leads me into the next question is, What's the game that scares you the most? And we just touched on the Texans game, which for me was the biggest win that they're going to pull off. But it also kind of scares me the most. Which one? Which one are you thinking is is not one? Not a matchup you're liking? Uh, I mean, coming into before Sunday, I would have said the Rams. Uh, but then watching what the Saints did to them, I mean, the Rams will probably do for a loss. Uh, they probably need that that game to lose and to probably get back on track. Uh, but 
I have to, I'd have to be the Saints, right? I mean, look, they're just falling right now. I mean, Michael Thomas, good Lord. And they got Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram's back. Drew Brees is just ageless out there, just tossing dimes. He's just honestly, it's, un- it's unbelievable what he is doing. It's like, I know people talk about Tom Brady being, you know, unbelievable for how old he is, but Drew Brees doesn't even look like he's lost any arm strength. Like, he's still throwing darts. And I think if they had to come here, I think uh, it would be it would be different. But I mean, the fact that we have to go there, I think it's going to be it's an indoor environment. It's going to be loud. Um, I'd be very interested to see what the line is for that game. It's going to be a Saints line, I'd have to think. Um, so that game scares me. I, like I said, I I have us losing the rent to the Rams and to the Saints, but we have been competitive with the Saints in the past. So there is there is that they I don't think that they've blown us out the last couple times we played them. It's been close. So yeah. that's a game. Both of those games scare me, but I think after yesterday or after um, after Sunday, uh, the Saints game scares me a little more. Yeah, and and no disrespect to Jared Goff, you know he looked he looks great as well, but Drew Brees scares scares the bejesus out of me right now and especially with our secondary, he was picking apart that Ram secondary and just watching his pinpoint accuracy. I mean, you can, you can be guarding your receiver flawlessly and somehow breeze just threads the needle right through the hole and into, into the receiver's hands. So that, that yeah. really, that frightens me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think it has to, they're, they're, incredible. they're a great offensive team. I mean, there's, there's a lot of you have to you almost have to wonder what would have happened if those two had met last year. You know, it was almost like two unstoppable forces outside of that Minnesota. If that Minnesota miracle doesn't happen, did the Eagles still get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, uh, I, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I was definitely rooting for Minnesota in that game because, especially you know, Drew Brees traveling to the link does that scares me more than any other quarterback because he's able to handle any sort of atmosphere and he's he's one of the most level-headed quarterbacks. Who's just not affected by anything? It seems. No, and uh, your your Jim is going to have to come up with an awesome game plan for that for that game because it's not like you could just get pressure on Drew Brees and he he fold, he tucks the ball away and folds. He's gonna he's gonna run out of the pocket. He's nimble. He's quick. He's gonna run out and he's gonna find a guy and he's gonna unload the ball. So I mean, he's been doing it for years. So it's a uh, it's a tall order for that defense and. The, 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 Saints, uh, the Saints defense is, is pretty – is not – they've come a long way. They're not, they're not a walkover either. Um, they, were, they made it pretty hard on the Rams on Sunday. So, um, but that being said, they also can be had. So Doug also has to come ready to play. And that's what I'm thinking. Uh, for that game, I anticipate if the Birds do come out on top, it would be via shootout because I- – I don't want to say that Kamara is going to run all over that defense. I really like to think that we could contain uh, the running backs, but you know, the Kamara Ingram duo is a very, they're, they're going to have their way at some point. And then it's just a matter of how Drew Brees tears apart that secondary. Um, we're just going to have to combat it by scoring points. And that's something that I can see the birds doing in that matchup was, which is why I, I still think we have a chance to win that. I'm not writing that off completely, but it's also been flexed to a 425 game, so that crowd is going to come prepared to make some noise on national television. And it's just, it's a scare yep. game, you know? It's a game that scares you. 
I need them. And so, you know, what will make me feel better is if they come out this Sunday and they put up like 35 on Dallas, they put up 35 points on Dallas and I'm feeling good about where the offense is, is, is heading. Uh, but they come if they come out and they win a 17, 13 game against Dallas, I'm going to be a little worried. I'm going to be a little worried because we're not going to be able to put up 17 points against, uh, LA or New Orleans and win that game. No, definitely not going into the second half of the season. Points are going to be crucial. We're going to need to see this offense producing at a much higher rate than it's been in the first half of the season. And then just closing out this little midterm grades for the birds. Give me your prediction. What's the record at the end of the regular season? My heart says 10 and six, you know, they'll go six and two the rest of the way to close it out. But my, you know, my mind and my logic says five and three ending up nine, and seven, um, I, I, if you look at that schedule, it's just going to be hard to get six wins out of that schedule. I think unless we see an absolute turnaround in the offense and the defense just, just coming out and falling, you know, the, the division doesn't, it's not what scares me. Like I said, I think that Washington game is, is an important one. The giants are awful. Dallas stinks. Um, it's, it's really new Orleans, LA, and then that, that Houston game. Now, the other thing is it's really hard to sweep the division, right? Um, so you got to think there's, there's going to be one loss in there from somebody. It's, it's either, and it's probably going to be Washington, right? They played us well in the past couple of years. Um, that was with Kirk Cousins, but they just always seem to play pretty good against us. They always get amped up. So I think you probably lose one to Washington. You lose to LA, you lose to, the, the Saints, and you take care of business. The rest of the division, you take care of Houston, and then you, you know you're at uh, you're at nine and seven, and you have to hope. I mean, it should be enough to, to win the division if you if you only lose once, they should be fine. Yeah, I um, I want to say that they're going to run with the division, uh, especially after watching the Cowboys and just really thinking about the Cowboys. Uh, for a second, I thought that December 9th matchup might be one of those letdown games where like they're looking ahead to the Rams, the Texans and the skins to end the season. And they have to go into Dallas where they could just drop one without any notice. So that, that scared me at first, but I just don't think that this Dallas team has what it takes to beat the birds. So I, I see the team going 10 and six. I'm going to say uh, it, it's hard to say, that Texans game is really the game that I think is going to decide whether they go 10 and six or nine and seven. I think that they absolutely can go ahead and sweep the division. Um, that Monday night game, I anticipate the Eagles coming out incredibly strong and putting up a lot of points on the Redskins defense. The Redskins lost a few players as well. So they're, they're beaten and on the downs right now. And I think the Eagles are going the other way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's either it's one or the other, right? I think they definitely either go nine and seven or ten and six. I, I don't think that they're going to lose more than three games. I hope not down down the stretch here. If they lose more than three games, they're, they're, there's something wrong. Like if they lose, if they lose to the Giants, or like if they lose to Dallas, or if they you know if they lose three, two, two or more than two games in the division, there's then yeah, they're they're sunk. So yeah. they they really don't have a choice. Well, there you have it, folks. That is our Eagles midterm grades. 
they're getting between a B minus and a C, but we're remaining hopeful for the remainder of the season. And now that we've looked in the past, it's time to look ahead to this Cowboys game real quickly before we move on to some other sports. What's the key in this game, Justin? What, what, what brings home the victory for the birds on Sunday night? Execute the offense. That's it. Just execute the offense. Come out. Like I said, you got to put up, I want to see him put up 35 points on the team. And I don't think that, I don't think that uh, they're going to come out and, and put up, you know, a lot of points against our defense, but this is, this is a, uh, an opportunity for our defense to get back on track, play hard. They have some weapons They have, they traded for Cooper. They have, um, Dax has shown he could be a decent quarterback. Um, and they have Zeke Elliott. So they have some pieces. Uh, I don't think they're a good team, but you, you've, I, you know, I think you see all the time in not just football, but professional sports, you take a team lightly, they're going to come out and smack you in the face. So they can't do that here. They have to come out. They have to come in hungry. And they just need to slap this team around, honestly. Uh, but what I'm looking at is offensive execution, protecting the quarterback. Um, I'd like to see a balanced run pass, uh, you know, game plan from Doug. And I think if they do that to take care of the ball, they, they limit the mistakes, they're, they're going to come out of this game. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be 35 to 17. Yeah. And I think that the defense for the Cowboys is actually going to be a good test for Carson and this new look offense, because they're not a bad pass defense. Um, I really think it's going to be a confidence building game for the Eagles defense and that secondary. I mean, they have Cooper and you know, they, I think the greatest thing ever was watching them fail at the Philly special attempt uh, last night. That was, yeah, there's not a team that I would rather watch muff that one. Yeah, that was pretty special. Uh, no, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, it's, it's awesome to watch them screw that up. And I don't think that Amari Cooper makes this passing offense that much better. And after watching that game, I think that solidifies my opinion on that. I was scared of Cooper for about five minutes, and then I realized that they gave up a first-round draft pick for that. So it's it's time to shine for the Eagles. It's time to turn it around. Four and four, bring on the second half of the season. Let's do it, baby. You know what? what? Is is <laughs> is I was going to say one more. Is Jason Garrett not the most overrated coach of all time? I mean. Oh. You just got to, you just got just put this guy out of his misery already, honestly. I mean, you really wonder why he hasn't already. I mean, they've had so many better coaches that they've let go. I mean, Wade Phillips <laughs> is a phenomenal defensive coordinator, and though though it didn't work out as head coach, I think that by God, he is a much better coach than Jason Garrett on in any aspect. Yep, totally agree. It's just, you know. Good on you, Jerry Jones. You keep doing you. You keep trash talking Des Bryant on the radio and focus on what's really important. So now we're uh, we're gonna move on here and quick touch. We actually went pretty long there with the uh, you know the midterm grades, which was much needed. We needed to go over this Eagle season, the before yeah. and the after. It was it's just necessary to dissect what has happened and the and how we can turn it around. Um, so we're, we're quick going to get to college football. A uh, tough one on Thursday night for the Temple Owls. They traveled to Orlando and they dropped a real shootout with the UCF Knights, 52-40. to 40. We're not going to touch on this too much, but 
For anybody who listened to my past podcast or reads anything of mine on Section 215 that I put up about the Temple Owls, I have an absolute man crush on quarterback Anthony Russo, uh, redshirt sophomore. He's the first quarterback that I've seen with real star potential since P.J. Phillip Walker strutted the field at Lincoln Financial Field for the Owls in their heyday with Matt Rule. And Russo went off for 444 yards and four touchdowns. He threw two interceptions. One interception came in a time where you think it would be crucial, but the defense actually saved his butt. And then the second interception was just at the very end of the game. But this kid went 31 of 52 for nearly 450 yards and four touchdowns in probably the biggest game he's played of his career so far. So if that's telling you anything going forward, it's that this kid is not afraid to step up in the spotlight and shine. He was throwing absolute torches down the field. Oh, there was a 70-yard touchdown pass to Randall Jones that was beyond beautiful. There were so many times where I thought the Owls were pulling this game out, and it was really going to come down to who's the first team who doesn't score. It was an absolute shootout. UCF's Mackenzie Milton also had 312 yards and three touchdowns. And really what it came down to in this game was the running game. Temple got Armstead back. Ryquel Armstead was out with an ankle injury. And to be quite honest, anybody who was watching that game, every time he went off on the sideline, he was limping. He was getting it taped. He was nowhere near all right. And he took the workload workload like a horse 27 carries for 142 he didn't reach the end zone but the difference in the game was that UCF has three running threats at running back plus the quarterback is also a running threat and uh, Greg McRae really killed him with 188 yards and a big touchdown so in the big picture this wasn't going to be a year where Temple was going to go 10 and three or anything like that. I mean, when you drop your first game against Villanova and then you lose to Buffalo, it's not looking good. The best thing that coach Collins did all season was keep Russo in at starting quarterback. So from here on out, we got Houston on the road. Then we got USF at home. Then we got UConn. I see at least a two and one schedule. So going at least seven and five and Really, the ultimate goal this season is now just to make a bowl game. It's probably going to be one of those, you know, garbage bowls that they just make so that teams like Temple, who are seven and five, can get into a bowl game. But the fact that they were competing for first place in the American Conference in a season where they lost to Villanova and Buffalo really speaks highly on this kid, Russo, and what he's going to do going forward. So the future is bright for Temple football. That's my Temple football rant. In other news, we got Villanova, who finally got back after a three-game losing streak. They won 45-21 to at Richmond. And Penn State was absolutely clobbered in Ann Arbor against Michigan. Uh, clearly, there were some hard feelings there after last year's matchup where James Franklin you know, didn't just sit on the ball. And Jim Harbaugh uh, let him know by just shellacking the Nittany Lions. I think you enjoyed saying that too much. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was a smile on my face. This is, this is audio. You can't see the video. 
There's a smile on my face when Penn State gets shellacked by Michigan. And yes, I don't like Penn State, but I, I legitimately I think that this Michigan team has a chance to get into the college football playoff. Uh, the defense looked phenomenal, but Penn State, not really a team. Now they're a very good team, that Michigan defense, and they showed you why they showed us why they are the number one defense in, in the in the nation. And uh, I'm a I'm a Penn Stater. Uh, that's my team. I'm an 09 alumnus. So watching that game was uh, a stomach churning experience for me. And uh, you know I wish I could say that it hasn't happened before, but uh, there's just something about Penn State football, man. It just always leaves you wanting more. Uh, you know it's been that way for years. I feel like uh, they just you know, even goes back to the days of Joe, it was just, they just haven't, they've never been able to get that elite status. They've won a couple of big 10 championships, but you know, there's a lot that I could say here. And I don't want to dominate the time with, with, with Penn state talk, but um, you know, it was, it was a, just a brutal game to watch. And after Franklin comes out and after that Ohio state game and gives the, you know, we're not, we're not elite, but uh, we're done being great. It was, I don't know. It was a, it was a damning thing to say, and it certainly hasn't. It lo- the optics. It looks like it hasn't helped them because, like you know, he says we're done being great. Well, yeah, they haven't been very good at all since he said that. I mean, in this game, Trace McSorley, five for thirteen, eighty-three yards, no touchdowns, one pick. I mean, rushing, he was twelve carries for negative six yards. Uh, I mean, it was just. Miles Sanders, seven carries, 14 yards. Uh, he had two touchdowns, but, I mean, it was just a brutal, brutal game. They were just victimized by that Michigan defense, and there's a lot of questions with Penn State right now with their coaching, a lot of questions that they have to answer moving forward of what kind of program they want to be. Six and three, you know, they've – James Franklin is something like three and 11 against Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State since he's become the head coach there, so – a lot of questions about him right now, and uh, that's, that's really where I'm at. It's just very, very disappointing. Yeah, and I, I know we do. We we have some Penn State listeners, despite the fact that this is Philly sports. You know, a lot of people graduated from Penn State and moved into Philly. Um, Temple all the way. Um, how were you feeling a few years ago when uh, your Nittany Lions went down to the Owls? Oh, that was probably the, one of the worst losses I can remember. And it, listen, there's nothing. I was I actually, as a Philly guy, you know, I was, I was inside. I was, I was, I was happy for Temple. I mean, it was an incredible win. Um, Twitter was ablaze with obnoxious Temple fans. But, uh, you know, hey, hey, when you get that kind of marquee win, you're going to celebrate it. So I understood it. You know, now I understand it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that was a rough one. That was a rough one. I try to keep that one out of my mind. <laughs> Oh, that's that was the greatest day ever in Temple football. Um, just, but I, I wanted to touch on. I watched that Penn State game, and they bring Tommy Stevens, and, and I understand McSorley was hurt, but I, I believe that they brought Stevens in before McSorley was hurt. And he throws some. He's rolling on the throwing against his body. He looked all right, but it turned out that he threw the ball straight to the minute. Uh, I'm sorry, the Michigan defender, and there was not a receiver in sight. Like, what is what is the coach thinking there? They've used him 
kind of you know really sparingly throughout the year, but like they've used him. He, they use him in certain packages, almost like a running back or like a joker back. Like he, he I don't really know. Sometimes I question it because I'm like, what is he doing? He's trying to get his future starting quarterback killed out there. But you know, Stevens is an athletic kid. Uh, I think they like to use him with a little bit of misdirection. And but yeah, that play there was just. It, it, you know, you could see him come back to the sideline. He, he was just like, what did I just do? You know, <laughs> it, was, it, it was a bonehead play. And I think they were realizing that McSorley really had nothing. It was, you know, well, I don't remember what quarter it was, but it was fairly enough into the game where they were realizing that uh, what they were doing on offense wasn't working. So they tried something that uh, that was a little bit, you know, out of the normal playbook and it ends up not working. So, yeah, it's just not a lot I have on that game. It was just a uh, it was a real disappointing effort. And like you said, Michigan has had that one on their calendar obviously since last year, since we crushed them. So they did not forget. They did not forget. And I, you know, just closing out the Penn State talk, I think something that is fairly obvious, but I will just comment on is that Penn State was up there in the rankings when they had Saquon Barkley at running back. And there's no mistaking that you cannot replace that kind of production with any, you know, he was a once in a lifetime back almost. That was probably the most fun I ever had as a Penn State fan watching what Barkley did. And you knew last year was the window uh, with him on, you know, with him and uh, McSorley playing as well as they were. And, and unfortunately it didn't materialize, but uh, yeah, you knew coming into this year, it was going to be a different year as a Penn State fan without, Saquon Barkley, he's a generational talent. He's going to end up being an amazing running back in the NFL. So, you know, missing that definitely hurts your team. So, Well, that's all we're going to talk about Penn State because it makes me a little sick to give them more <laughs> than five minutes. But uh, just quickly before we move on to the Sixers, this is the segment that I used to do back on my old podcast with Wit. It's where I like to show off. The Philly pros. These are my temple boys who've made it into the NFL. So a quick weekly roundup Uh, with the bye week. There was a few guys off. um, So I'm just going to read through the guys who played starting off with Robbie Anderson. The wide receiver of the Jets played at Miami. They lost 13 to six. He had four receptions, 32 yards. Sharif Finch, defensive lineman, Tennessee at Dallas, they brought home the win 28-14. He only had one tackle. He's been having a really big season. Lots of sacks coming his way and lots of pressure on the quarterback, but only one tackle this season. Matt Ioannidis, the defensive tackle of the Redskins, who lost to Atlanta 38-14. He had seven tackles, one sack, and there was a moment where they mentioned that if one more offensive lineman got hurt, Ioannidis was going in on the old line. So he's a two-way player. That is hashtag Temple Tough. Brandon McManus, kicker for Denver against Houston. They lost 19-17. McManus cost him the game. He was one for three from field goal and missed a big one at the end of the game. Two for two of extra points. But once again, he's a Super Bowl champ, so he always has that on you. Tahir Whitehead of Oakland. They lost 34-3, but not without Tahir getting seven tackles on the night. And rounding out the Temple players in the NFL is Tavon Young of Baltimore. They lost 23-16 against Pittsburgh. He had four tackles before leaving the game with an ankle injury. That is your Philadelphia pros. Always proud to see my Owls representing in the NFL. 
And now we're moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers. It was a week. Uh, that That is one way to put it. It was a That's week what? of basketball. And Justin, what... I don't have words right now. What what happened this week? Uh, dude, listen, all I know is that yeah, I had a lot of stuff to do on Sunday, and I saw that they were playing the Nets, and I was like, win, right? I mean, That's, and then I... Like, that was a no-brainer. It was like, psh, chalk that. Like, I, of all games this week, chalk that one up as the dub. And then I, I turned on late in the game, and I'm like, what is going on here? I, th- this team is... They're an enigma right now to me. Um, I don't know what's going on. They can't. They can't stop anybody. The defense is an absolute mess. I mean, like I said last week, when I was like, hold a team to ninety points. I mean, they can't do it. They can't. Yeah, they do did it. not and take that advice. They held themselves to ninety points, but they did <laughs> not hold the team to ninety points. I mean, listen. We know this team can score, uh, but to to let the Brooklyn Nets put up 122 points is an embarrassment. I can't even believe that that's the same team. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to the Flyers right now with, with them. The two winner teams right now are just, they're crazy and consistent. Um, and, you know, it's early. It's early in a, in a basketball season. And well, they were 25 and 25 last year, kind of, you know, at that point in the season. Yeah, there was, there was definitely a slow start. So, and then we saw him go on and win 52 games. So, uh, but this stuff should be, they they should be maturing as a team. This stuff shouldn't still be happening. So I have concerns about what's going on in the locker room. I have concerns about what what is Brett doing with his player usage. I have concerns about Dario and what in the world is going on with that guy. I have concerns about Ben. Like you and I were texting, like, you know, I watch Ben sometimes and I'm like, this guy doesn't know what kind of player he wants to be. So the only you know, and we'll, we'll get to this, but the only bright spot I can I can see is obviously Joel B playing at the level he's playing at, and Fultz is looking like he's starting to figure it out. Yeah, uh, j- just to correct ourselves, they held the Pistons to ninety nine. So I guess uh, technically yeah. that's under ninety. I'm sorry, under a hundred. But <laughs> and that was that, a good win. Like you wanted to see them go out and get that win after after Griffin puts up fifty the first time, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that in that game we saw that really Blake Griffin is that team right now. Um, Joel Embiid owns Andre Drummond, no doubt about it. Uh, he is in that man's head, and that is awesome. But uh, I think it's still safe to say that Blake owns the Sixers. He dropped thirty-eight again, um, but you know they toughed it out and they got it. Something that's really concerning to I think anybody that looks at it is that this team is undefeated at home. And they can't win on the road, and that is a yeah. huge, bizarre. huge problem. Yeah, it's that's bizarre. They're six and five, and yeah, they've they've won all all six of their wins are at home, and all five of their losses are away, which is is crazy. So I don't know what's going on there, um, but that's you know hopefully that it can't be a trend that's going to continue, but um, it's certainly interesting to see that uh, early on. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think the loss at Detroit what, what two weeks ago or whatnot, that, that was a tough one because I think Detroit is in between a good team and, you know, just an average team. So 
they don't really have that home court advantage. You know, the Raptors have the home court advantage and the Bucks have that home court advantage. But when you go off to Brooklyn and you drop one to the Nets, you know, I just I think for a team like the Sixers who came into this season saying, oh, we're top three in the East. Whether it's early in the season or not, you just can't be dropping games like that. No, you want to be if you want to be top three in the East, then show it. I mean, the East is not a top-heavy division, right? There's 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 probably three three good teams, and the rest is going to be pretty pretty clumped together. So, I mean, the Sixers by and large should be in that top three. They're not playing like it right now. Or I'm not going to panic yet, but yeah. You got to go out. If you want to be a top three team, I mean, the only guy that's showing me he wants to do that right now is John B. Absolutely. And we're going to touch on Embiid. I just want to, before we get to the positive stuff, I just want to stay negative because I'm a negative person. <laughs> and, and I just want to go over turnovers because it's, it's something that plagued them last season. And once again, it is plaguing the 76ers turnovers. When you lose the game, at Toronto, 23 turnovers, and then 27 at the Nets on Sunday. You cannot be giving the ball over 27 times if you're in the NBA. You just cannot be doing that. The defense isn't that difficult that you can turn the ball over nearly 30 times in one game. And it starts, it's all over the place. There's a bunch of different players who are struggling with turnovers, but leading the pack is our boy, Ben Simmons. Like, 11 turnovers against Toronto. 11 turnovers. That's bad. That's a game. Yeah, go ahead. That's a game where you prove not only to Philadelphia, not only to yourself, to the nation, that this Sixers team is legitimately a top three team and competes against a team with a Kawhi Leonard competes against a team like that shows up big in the big spotlight. That was a spotlight on the Sixers and it was hardly even a spotlight. All right. It wasn't a primetime game. It wasn't big national television and Simmons just choked big time. I I don't, I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to call it choke. He just played horrible. He played atrocious. Almost reminiscent of that one point game he had in the playoffs last year. He just he drops a clunker, uh, you know, every now and again. And I, I don't know if that's the just the kind of player that he is. I look at Ben and I just look at a guy who's still, by and large, figuring it out. He really is. He's he's, he's still figuring it out. He's got an ugly back foot jumper that he reverts to when he goes in and, and nothing's. He brings it down and nothing's happening. I just I can't. I cannot watch him bring the ball up. Whether when no one's guarding him, I don't know if you saw the photo that was circulating on Twitter, but of of, of the just the, the disrespect he was getting, or he, he had to oh fall down the wing and nobody was guarding him because they're like, "Yeah, dude, we know you're not going to come in and try to, you know, post up on us." And it's like so true. I mean, he just won't he won't do it. He'll he'll drive in. Someone will honor him, and he'll just look to dish. And I just don't get that, dude. You're six ten. Use your frame. Use your body. You're an athletic kid. Go up and take a foul. I mean, I just don't get. I don't get what what his game is about right now. I mean, I'm looking at the just to bring it back to the turnovers. I'm looking at the league uh, leaders. He's 12th right now uh, with three and a half turnovers per game. 
Um, and I'm trying to see. I know Joe. I think Joe is in there. Joe is 28th. He's tied for 28th with 2.7 per game. Mm-hmm. So they're in, they're both in the top 30 with turnovers. It's not good. Yeah, and and you know with Joel, I see a lot of his turnovers come when he tries to face the basket or like rip the ball through, and defenders just know the move he's going to make. Um, they haven't been able to stop him, but that's that's kind of where he loses the ball a lot is when he's trying to dribble or trying to do guard-like things instead of being a big man. But the, obviously, he's been ripping it up. For Ben, the thing that blows my mind, and I know, I know it is so much simpler to say it than to actually do it, but if somebody is giving you that much space... How do you not just spend as much time as possible working on that elbow jumper? Because I like to shoot the ball in high school and I get it. It was high school basketball at a low level high school. Like nobody even makes it in D three in those high schools. But if you have an open elbow jumper, whether you're in the NBA or you're in high school, you work on it until you get that shot because that is as close to a free throw as you can get. But, and but we were told that he was working on it this summer. We were told by Brett Brown that he was taking you know hundreds and hundreds of jump shots, and, and that obviously was bogus. Uh, that was lip service because he hasn't. I haven't seen him shoot once. I mean, maybe I'm sure he has. That's probably uh, I'm, I'm I'm being dramatic, but he, he just he doesn't. He's either not comfortable shooting, or he he it's, he's not. He doesn't want to do it. And and if I'm Brett. He, you know, he, he has to shut that down. That's Brett's job to figure out how to maximize Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is, is going to be a very good player in this league. But right now, he looks like a guy who's, who's still figuring it out. He looks like a guy who's unsure when he's out there. And you can see it, you know, with the turnovers. Like you said, the turnovers with Joe are going to happen. Big men turn the ball over. I mean, he's not Shaq. He's not going to overpower guys. He's going to overpower some guys. He's not going to overpower everybody. And that style of play wears on you. So, I mean, I like that Joel will take threes. And I like that Joel will shoot, you know, uh, from the wing. Uh, he's, he's, he's a different kind of player than a guy like Shaq was, where he was, you know, very one-dimensional. So, but Ben is another story. And we got to figure it out. He's got to figure it out. And Brett needs to get in there and help him. Yeah. Uh, if, if he was actually taking those shots, over the summer, there's no way that his jump shot would look the way it does still. And it's just something that, uh, you know, you hope to see it change. And if it doesn't, you need to see something change, whether it be coaching or just something, something needs to change. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting the results to be different. You know, definition of insanity, right? I mean, so, and speaking of that, like, how do we feel about the coach right now? How do we feel about Brett Brown? I think it's a question that has to be asked. It might not, you know, it might be, it might seem a little Philadelphia to do that, but how do we feel about Brett Brown right now? I mean, call it Philadelphia, call it whatever you want. When a team's performing the way they are, and when you're you're watching this type of thing, and especially the way they handled the Fultz situation last year, and you see the Colangelo situation, and you wonder, is there any control anywhere on this team? This is a team. That yes, the process has we have trusted in it, and I love where we're at. But maybe someone else could take us home. Maybe that's the final piece of the process. Isn't another superstar? 
it's the right game planner and the right mentor and the right guy at, at, at the head of the bench. And, you know, you're right. It's kind of Philadelphia like to say that, but Brett's never shown us that he can do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's got the, he's got the perfect pedigree, you know, under being under pop for so long. And that's certainly the attraction um, to him. And I like Brett. Listen, I like Brett as a guy. I, I think he's a good dude. I think he's a good basketball guy. Um, but I, I need, he needs to show us that he can take this team to the next level. And if not, the organization needs to bring someone in who will. That's the, that's the whole point. That's, that's why you sell tickets. That's why you put the product on the floor is to win. And so if this team is not going to, if this team is going to be second fiddle to the Celtics or even to the Raptors, because the Raptors handed us a whooping, you know, a, a few, a, a week or two back as well, then, you know, Hey, at, at one point it does, does need to come in, don't come down to coaching. Coaches need to put the players in the best position to win games. So I guess we, you know, that's the story for another day with Brett. We'll see how that plays out. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right. And you know, where we can point out the differences between the Celtics and the Raptors and the Sixers, uh, one place could be coaching, especially for Boston. I mean, Brad Stevens came in and granted they had some help with drafting and they have really good players. Brad Stevens is one of the best basketball coaches that I have ever seen. And his success translates wherever he goes. So that's just, it could be a difference maker as the coach. It really could. Yeah, it certainly seems like Brad Stevens has Brett Brown's number. So, um, and credit Stevens, he's a, he's a really good coach. He's a, he's a, he's a guy that can put players into his system, uh, but also adapt his system to his players. So, I mean, he's done a really good job. And we haven't seen that from Brett yet. That's what we need to see. We need to see Brett take what he has right now and either adapt his system to fit them or to put them in a system that gets the absolute 100% most out of his best players, who are Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Yep, you are, you're absolutely right. And I think we're going to need to wrap up the Sixers segment just quickly by touching on how Joel Embiid's been playing lately. I'm just going to read his stat lines off to you. Uh, in the Toronto game, 31 points, 11 boards. In the Clippers game, 41 points, 13 boards, 4 blocks. In the Pistons game, 39 points, 17 rebounds. And then in the Nets game, he had 16 points, 15 rebounds. But he did have those five turnovers uh, that added to the Sixers. Uh, 27. He's playing MVP basketball right now, Justin. There's no doubt about it. No, he's 100% playing at an MVP elite caliber level. Uh, I, I wonder a little bit if he can keep that going. Um, just being a big man, I don't think you know big guys uh, tend to slow down as the season goes on. And, and I, you know, I don't want him on a minute minutes restriction or anything. I want him to keep playing at this level. But I also part of me is like, all right, all right, Joe, like settle down just a little bit. But uh, you got to love what he's doing. I mean, he's he's literally willing this team to win, and it hasn't been pretty. So uh, you know, if he can continue to, to do this, to play at this level, if other guys start stepping up, he doesn't have to go off for 40 points. You know what I mean? So it's great that your big guy can do that. But, you know, when you can start getting more production out of Simmons, Dario, Covington, like Covington has four points against the Nets. I mean, you can't, have, he's a starter. You can't have that. Um, yeah. 
Rocco's. We all know Rocco's that kind of guy who he's gonna. He's like a Darby of basketball. He'll he'll have a game where he just goes off for like twenty five, and then the next three games he's non-existent. Right. So no, I have no issue with how Joel Embiid's playing right now. I absolutely love it. He's my favorite athlete in Philadelphia besides Carson Wentz right now. So um, he, I just love everything about that dude. Keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. And, and while the good is going good, there's no need to question it, I guess, is, is how we should look at it. Um, and I think playing in the East helps as well, because there's not really uh, too many dominant big men in the East. Um, I'm really excited uh, for when they face Washington and Embiid can absolutely, you know, take it to Dwight Howard. That'll that'll be cool to see. Yeah, it does seem, and the other guy, it does seem like Al Horford has his number, though, which is just so frustrating, right? It's like, oh, every time we play them, it's like you can't, it's like Horford and Baines. It's like those two guys just shut them down. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, for a second there, I forgot that Baines existed, but then I remember that, uh, you know, every game that he plays the Sixers, he's the greatest big man ever, and then he just disappears uh-huh. for a while, and then he comes back and lets us know, like, hey, I still have your number. Mom it. Uh, all right, so that's all we got on the Sixers. Um, we're just going to real quickly touch on the Phillies, I guess. Uh, we're doing a free agent wish list this week, so we're going to look at some of the available free agents, and, and I guess it's do we want them or are we better off without them? So let's start off with uh, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, Manny Machado. I should have put Harper first on this list, but, uh, you know, Harper and Machado are obviously you know, at the top of my list. Um, I think you have to, you have to ask yourself, and I think the Phillies have to ask themselves what, where their biggest need is. And I think they would probably say shortstop. And so that's why I could see Machado being at the top of their list. Uh, listen, a lot of people think that the Phillies are going to go after both of these guys. So, I mean, and that would just be insane because you're looking at possibly anywhere from 600 to $800 million being tied up in two guys. That is insane. So I'm not saying I'd be against it, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's going to be long-term. It's going to be a lot of money. And it's kind of, we're kind of in uncharted waters with this. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I think it's more realistic that they'll get one of these guys. Um, I don't know how you feel about the Johnny Hustle comments from the World Series with Machado, but it's it's a little bit bothersome to me. But if if you say that you don't want Manny Machado, I think you're kind of silly. Yeah, you know, uh, I just don't know who says that at that time of the year. Like, it's one thing it's if it's it's one thing if it's like the middle of July. It's hot out. You're in a big. You're in a you know a bad losing streak. You're in a hitting slump, and you go off on a reporter, but postseason baseball and you're not Johnny hustle. Like, is this not what you've been working for since you were born, literally born, like been working to make it to the world series, Johnny hustle a little more and maybe you win the series. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have to think the Phillies are going to be looking at that contact going to be listening. You know, he heard that obviously, and I know they're probably going to take that into consideration. So uh, I think, again, I think it comes back to where they believe their biggest need is. And I, I, I think they would have to agree that it's shortstop. Um, you know, Scott Henry is not a shortstop. And so I think by getting Machado, you, 
you know, you bring in a guy who's going to be your shortstop for the next 10 years. Um, his, his slash line, 297 uh, on a 297 uh, batting average, uh, 367 on base, 538 slugging. So, I mean, you know, he's over, uh, he's over 900 uh, with his uh, OPS. So, I mean, that's pretty good numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you're absolutely right. There is, there's a certain level of production where you can deal with a little bit of an attitude. And I just look at Machado's numbers and it's like, this is the kind of guy that the Phillies absolutely need. They need, this is the missing piece of a superstar that they need on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the Harper, same deal, you know, Harper, uh, you know, his batting average lower 249, but he's a 393 on base and 496. Uh, slugging, so I mean, he's in the in the 800 for uh, OPS as well, and he's just a pure hitter. I mean, you you watch him crush those balls in the in the in the home run derby, but you also watch him do it all season. He, he's a guy that can go on to slumps, um, but uh, he is a pure hitter, and he's a guy that I think is just a winner. Uh, he hasn't won anything with Washington, obviously, but I think you get him on this team, and you got him and Reese Hoskins batting in there. Holy holy cow! You know what I mean, like. That's, uh, I think he's at the top of my list because I selfishly want Reese to play first base. So yeah, I I um I think I would put Harper above Machado as well. You know, I, I there was early on his in his career, I did not like Harper's attitude. I thought he had a bad attitude towards the game. I thought he was cocky. I thought he was arrogant. But. I think the guy just loves baseball and gets really into the game. And that's kind of where his attitude comes in more than Machado's kind of diva nonchalant attitude. I guess if that makes sense, it's Harper just, he's going to give you everything he has. He is Johnny hustle. He is the guy who's going to, he's going to play it to the last out and, you know, I think that's the kind of that's the kind of player that Philadelphia is going to fall in love with, and I think he's going to learn to appreciate the fans of Philadelphia, and it's going to be a really good relationship. And you know, Harper Hoskins back to back, not sure. a bad look. Yeah, and like I said, I think you're going to get one of those guys. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be in the neighborhood of, you know, over, it's going to be more than ten years. It's going to be above three hundred million, so it's going to be term, and it's going to be a lot of money. So. Um, you know, whichever one, I, I want to get one of those guys. I think you have to get one of those guys for the Phillies. I think if you don't get one of those guys, I don't want to say the, the, I mean, I don't want to say it's a failure, but it, it kind of is. It's almost like with what we saw with the Sixers this past free agent season. They have to get one of those guys. Now, that being said, uh, please don't bring up Sixers free agency and compare that to the Phillies. Cause that just scares me. <laughs> Now, that, being, that being said, there are guys they can go out and get that will still make the team better, not on the level of Machado and Harper, but you can still go out and get a guy like Michael Brantley. Um, play you know, left field for the Indians. He hit over 300, got on base 35% of the time. He built at 17 homers, full 12 bags. So, I mean, he's, he's 31, so he's getting up there in age, but he's still a guy that can give you a couple more years. Um, you could also go out and get A.J. Pollock, um, you know, center fielder from Arizona. So, I mean, another guy who's solid, he's 30, but, uh, you know, 257, 
316 and, and 484. So he's not a bad flash line either. So he hit, uh, you know, 21 home runs this year. So you know, there are. The only thing that would not, not scare me, but just kind of concerns me about bringing in an older outfielder as opposed to someone like Harper, who's young and can give you a lot of a lot of time in the outfield is that we do have a lot of promising young outfielders and feel like whether it be roaming Quinn or, or uh, Nick Williams, I feel like one of them is going to become your AJ Pollock or your Michael Brantley, where they can produce like that without having to go out and outsource to another team, I guess. I don't, I don't disagree. And I think, I think between you know you and I, I think the Phillies have to decide how they feel about guys like Roman Quinn, Odubel Herrera, Nick Williams, right? So that kind of it brings me to you know do we want to do stay relief or I'd I'd like two yeah. more guys on the agent list, but I, I was just going to say like guy you know guys like Nick Markakis would be nice also, and hey Charlie Morton bring 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 in a pitcher would be really nice too. So. There's a lot of options that they have free agency. It's not just Harper Machado. They can go out and get some, some other free agents to make this team better. But I also think making this team better uh, can happen by you know subtraction as well. And that brings us to stay or leave. And it does. And we're going to do stay or leave. Should we have the player that we name stay in Philadelphia or would we like to punch their ticket out of here? Starting with Carlos Santana. What do you say? Oh, man, this is a hard one because and I already alluded to it a little bit, but with, with uh, I want Reese Hoskins to play first base. He's, uh, he's not an outfielder. He's not a left fielder. You know, um, and you saw that. He, he's competent out there, but he should be playing his natural position. Nothing drives me more crazy in sports than when coaches make players uh, play a, a position they're not supposed to be playing so, or that they haven't played in their career. So, you know, Santana's one I'm kind of torn on. I, I think he's a good player. I like him. Um, he's a guy that they brought in to get on base. I think a lot of people who maybe watch baseball casually kind of thought he was supposed to be this, this home run guy. You can look at him and you're like, you're like, oh, he looks like Ryan Howard or he looks like Big Poppy. So he should be hitting home runs, right? That's not the guy that he is. I think that he did, you know, he did what, he was, what, what they wanted him to do um, this season. I'm trying to bring up his... Uh, his stats. Let's see what he was this season. Uh, where is he? Yeah, he hit two twenty nine. Not pretty. Yeah, it's not pretty. And with a seven seven sixty six OPS, so like the numbers don't look pretty for him. But I just feel like I, I watched every Phillies game this season, and I I felt like yes, he went through slumps, but the dude gets on base. You know, it's like Moneyball, right? Like he, he does. What's Petey gonna say, guys? He gets on base, right? So I. I think you keep him for one more year. Um, you know, you're paying him a lot of money, but I think you keep him for one more year to try to get to, get a little more production out of him. But I'm torn saying that too because I want Reese Hoskins to play first base. Yeah, uh, I think uh, something also to just remember is exactly who Carlos Santana is, and he started out as the catcher for the Indians, and then they moved him to first base. So he has a lot of wear and tear on his legs. Um, I, I personally thought. He's expensive for what he produced, I guess, is, is what we're looking at. Uh, you know, 24 home runs and 86 RBIs isn't bad. But when you have a guy like Hoskins out there in left field, 
by keeping Santana for one more year, you're just putting off the inevitable. So why not just, you know, pull the bandaid off right now? I, I don't know if that's a great, you know, comparison because it's not like pulling off a bandaid. Santana's solid. But Hoskins yeah. is that first baseman of the future. So why not just fast forward to the future now and start working Hoskins in at first? Because putting him in left field, he looks like Burl. That's really who he yeah. reminds me of out there is he is an unathletic dude who shouldn't be playing the outfield. He can hit like a monster, but he should not be in left field. And unlike Pat Burrell, who had Ryan Howard at first, there is no Ryan Howard at first. This is Hoskins team. He is the closest thing to a superstar we have right now. So I think all focus should be on him and getting Hoskins to first base. Well said, I can't really disagree with that. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, he's probably a leaf. Yep. I'm going to agree there and say, thank you for your time, Carlos, but best wishes moving on to Odubel Herrera. This is a guy. This is a guy who, when I first went to a Phillies game after they started their rebuild process, he caught my eye. He really did because he was the, he was the only bright spot in a really dark team. He had moxie. He hit the ball well. He was fast. But I just think that his streakiness and his lack of consistency and a little bit of attitude. I don't want to say attitude issues, but just not always giving it his all is a reason that we need to say goodbye to our friend Odubel. Uh, I think it's time. Um, I think everything that you mentioned is go, is going into that. You know, he he's, he is a all star talent. I'll say that he, he he has the talent to be an all star. He does not have the mental toughness to be an all star, and he does not have the consistency to be an all star. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think he has the drive to be an all star. Um, we've seen, you know, this is the story with Adubel for for several seasons now. Great in spurts. But just the mental mistakes, just the lack of being ready to play, the the plate inconsistencies, the base running mistakes, the fielding mistakes. It's like, when is this stuff going to stop? When are you going to mature into that player that this organization needs you to be? You know, I read an article on theathletic.com the other day that really, really bugged me. Uh, basically, he was quoted as saying, you know, it was nice this year that Kapler and the rest of the staff just let me be me. Uh, and just, uh, basically, basically saying that, you know, it was nice not to have anybody on my butt this year and I could just be myself where, where and, and you know, the, the, the woman that wrote the article, you know, kind of went on to say, well, you know, she thought that that meant, um, you know, there was no more McCannon. There was no more guys like Freddie Galvis, guys who, you know, were known in the clubhouse for getting on guys like O'Double, making sure he was on time for meetings, making sure he was going to batting practice, stuff like that. So to hear that from O'Double basically saying like, yeah, uh, you know, I like to just kind of do my own thing, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. And yeah, that- I don't think that's going to change about Adubo Herrera. I really don't. And I think he's going to be that streaky player. And if he's going to be that streaky player here, go be that somewhere else because we have Roman Quinn. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you have those guys who are pushing you, when when they are pushing you in the moment, it might be a pain in the neck. It really might be frustrating. 
But when you sit back and look at it, they're just thinking for the greater good of the team. And if you are not willing to sacrifice your own personal comfort and being able to relax and mosey in and go to meetings whenever you want to, if you're not willing to sacrifice that sort of freedom for the better of the team, you're not part of the team, you know? Get out of here. Nope, couldn't agree more. And I think that is why he's to leave. See you, Oduble. Have a nice trip. Next up is a guy that I personally really gained a lot of respect for this year, uh, Michael Franco at third base. Uh, I mean, for years we've been talking about Franco. I'm sorry, it's Franco, right? Not Franco. Whatever it is. I've heard it yeah. pronounced like nine different ways. But Michael Franco, he's been like, the he is supposed to be the next Ryan Howard, the next superstar, and he just was never panning out. And while I don't think he's ever going to live up to his full potential, the, he showed us that he has the ability to be a really strong third baseman in this league and help produce for the Phillies. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at I was there were times last season, and like I said, I watched pretty much every game where my jaw dropped with some plays that he made in, in you know, at third base. I mean, just some of those throws off his butt and, and like just the turnaround throws that he would make to get this. I'm just like, this dude, he can play third base. He can play third base. Now he has some of those same inconsistencies at the plate that, that Oduble struggles with, but see the difference between him and Oduble, he showed me a lot when, after he was sort of demoted. Right. And then he came back and he won them a couple games just straight off of his performance. And that showed me that, you know, he could have taken that and said, you know, I'm going to take my ball and go home. You guys aren't going to play me, trade me, or I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sit and stop. That's not what he did. He, he basically made the coaching staff put him back in through his play. And I, that showed me a lot about the kind of guy that he is. So in my, I want to keep, I like Michael Franco and I, and I, I want to see him stay on this team. Absolutely. I I 100% agree. He gets the stamp of approval. He's staying in Philadelphia. And I mean, I would just love, I know it's asking a lot, but I would just love to see him utilize the right side of the field because it's wide open. I don't know if he'll ever be able to get over that pull, pull, pull mindset, but if he could just kind of loosen it up a little bit, you know, and send a few, a few the other way and just start thinking that way. He can be such a better player, but the, the upsides are there. The work ethic is there. And like you said, the defense is there. There's, he doesn't look like he'd be a super athletic defensive player, but Michael makes those plays. So he's staying. And Great. that leads me, that, that just leads me to the next guy who is kind of the same situation of a demotion. He was highly touted. Uh, everybody talked about him and really ever since he's come up to the bigs, he's been nothing but an utter disappointment for me. That is JP Crawford. Um, a terrible year, spent a lot of time in Lehigh Valley and, you know, I just, I think I'm going to say goodbye to JP, especially with talks of Machado. And there's just a, there's just an overflow of infielders who could do his job better than he does it. Well, I think you said it. I think if they bring in Machado, then that all but does is for J.P. Crawford because that signals that they don't feel that he is the future. And for what we've heard about J.P. Crawford, you know, we didn't really see it this past season. I know that may not be fair. He was hurt. Uh, he had to he had to do a rehab assignment. When he came up, you know, he was all right. You know, 
my dad would say to me all the time, you can't hit major league pitching. Uh, and I think there's some truth to that. At least right now, he, he can't hit major league pitching. He struggles at the plate. Defensively, he's better than Scott Kingery, but uh, you know, he's not exactly you know an, an all-star out there defensively either. So I just think this one's weird because there's so much unknown with him. We've really only seen him you know, as he's still developing. So I think I'm going to reserve uh, stay or leave on him until we see what happens with free agency. All right. There you hear it. He is on, he's floating in the unknown right now, I guess. JP Crawford floating in the unknown. Maybe that's titled Lehigh Valley. Who knows? Uh, Vince Velasquez. I'm going to say goodbye to Vince. I think, uh, you know, with some of the some of the prospects we have coming up, you know, De Los Santos could could have a bigger impact next season. And Cole Irvin was down at the Pigs as well. He was fourteen and four this past season with the two five seven ERA. I just think that that spot should be reserved to somebody with more upside than Velasquez. This was tough for me because I had a. I mean, I was all in on the entire rotation at a certain point this past summer. I mean, they were all clicking, right? I mean, every single one of them from one to five. And Velasquez was a huge part of that. I think by all intents and purposes, he had a pretty good year. I think the wheels kind of fell off for him in the same way that they fell off for Zach Eflin. Um, And really, they they did the same thing kind of happened to – Oh, what is his name now? Now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Who's the blondie? Uh, uh, yeah, it's Nick Pavetta. So the same thing kind of happened. Those three guys kind of all had a rough end of the year. And I, I argue with my some of my family members all the time. Like one of my one of my brothers always tells me Velasquez would be better out of the pen, and I kind of argued against that. But you know, he he's he's a guy that that has some velocity. So I mean, I could see him. Being, but you know, a bullpen guy, you just have to get more out of them than five innings, right? That's what this team needs right now is to just to get more than two guys who can go, or one even, uh, that can go seven, eight, you know, or a whole game. You just, and you know, but I think too often Velasquez is the guy that can only give you five, maybe six, and uh, that just taxes your bullpen too much. So I, I don't know if I would say. If I wanted, if we were going to say goodbye to him, I would say goodbye to him as a starter and put him in the bullpen because I do think there's too much talent there to just uh, let him go. Yeah, you know what? I I am going to. I was very harsh in you know first labeling it as goodbye Vince forever. I agreed that he could be a valuable asset out of the bullpen, and I guess it's just from the starting rotation. It's it's tough because you know you have your top two and then. Those last three are kind of interchangeable. They each have their own upsides and their negatives. Um, I think I, I personally like Pavetta more. I just saw maybe it's the fact that he's a little bit younger. I think it's only a year younger, but still a, a little more possibility out of him. But I just saw flashes that I liked out of Pavetta more so than I did Velazquez. But we'll keep him in that bullpen. He doesn't have to go far. Just maybe get out of that starting rotation and let some younger guys show what they have. You got me excited for these last two. All righty. These two, these two are going to be a combo because I mean, I, I don't know what your opinion is going to be on them, but for me, I've already booked a, a, a flight 
to Australia, I guess, is that's probably the farthest we can get from Philadelphia for these two gentlemen. Hector Neris, oh, excuse me, Hector Neris and Adam Morgan, get out of Philly, get out of this bullpen. Gabe, stop using Morgan in key situations. He is never, ever going to come through clutch. He, yeah, he, he can't make it as a starter. He can't make it as a guy in the pen. He shouldn't be playing in the MLB let alone in crucial situations. There uh, there was one game that really stuck out to me. It was against the Cubs. And uh, you know the game I'm talking about? Uh, I think I do. Uh, he just he comes in and gives up a grand slam. <laughs> and I can't remember if the game was tied or if we were up at that point, but it was just like the classic, like, Oh my God! Adam Morgan's coming in. Goodbye, game. Adam Morgan, you know, he, he you hit the nail on the head because you're watching a game and it's, it's it's maybe it's tied, right? Or maybe they're up by one or two runs, right? There's two guys on, right? Or the time runs the plate, and you bring in Adam Morgan, and all you need him to do is to not do something that will let the other team either tie or win the game. Very simple, right? Not for Adam Morgan, because he comes in, he blows the game, he, he walks a guy, or he hits a guy, or he gives up a grand slam. It's like, dude, we've seen this over and over. That was, that was probably, the, these, two, these two guys single-handedly raised my blood pressure list this past season. I mean, it, listen, I'm not going to knock a guy when they're down, but these two dudes stink. Get them out of Philadelphia. Drop them off in a volcano. I don't <laughs> care. Send, you know, I, I don't care. Get them as far away from my team as possible because they both stink. They can't do the job that they're supposed to, the one job that they have. They can't start. They can't pitch uh, for relief. What good are you? Just get rid of them. I mean, the the way you put that about Adam Morgan is, is just ye- – it is exactly who he is. You could have a three-run lead and bring him in with nobody on, and he'll find a way to load the bases, give up a grand slam, and then give up two more home runs just to make sure that there's no chance that this team comes back. This guy's garbage. He is one of the worst relievers I have seen in a long time on the Phillies, and we've seen a lot of bad pitchers in the past few years. But the, I, I can't even believe that at one point this guy was – they brought him up to be a starter. I mean, you, you, you can't tell that to Mr. Positivity, though, because, uh, oh, he's just – he's presenting just beautifully right now, right? You know, you can't, you can't tell that to, to Captain Positivity, as my dad would call him. But <laughs> good Lord, man. I mean, I know he, he, he treats – Capper. He treats everything like a reclamation project. They bring Naris back up. Like, oh, he, he has one. Unsave and then automatically he's back. Like, give me a break. The guy stinks. But how many games did we lose last year because of that bullpen? And those two were right at the center of it. So you know what? I'm done. See you later. The Delco's coming out on me now. Goodbye, Hector Maris. Goodbye, Adam Morgan. It was nice knowing you. It is out. They're leaving. One way ticket. I liked your. I liked your destination. We're throwing them in a volcano. Forget about them. That way there's no chance that Gabe goes and finds them and brings them back in to another one-run 
ball game. Good riddance. So there you have it. That's our free agent wish list. And then who are we keeping? Who are we letting go? I think it's clear that our bullpen can have some changes starting with those two gentlemen. So flying high flew long today. Uh, that was mostly because of our uh, mid season grades, our midterms for the Eagles. Um, just real quickly, we're going to touch more on the flyers next week in our episode, but there were some positive notes for the flyers this week. They beat the coyotes. They beat the Kings. And I guess we haven't spoke since they beat the ducks as well on Tuesday. Um, so going three and one on a four game road trip and then, uh, facing Phoenix again on, uh, Thursday. Am I correct with yep. that? Yep. Thursday. That's a home and home. They, uh, get to, you know, it was a chippy affair, uh, on Sunday or on my, excuse me, last night. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that game goes. But they're three zero and one on that trip. They look like they're turning it around a little bit. So yeah, we uh, we hopefully next week we have um, some in depth flyer stuff to talk about. Absolutely, and uh, very quickly before we head out, like I said, we're on iTunes now. So flying high, PH like Philadelphia, flying high. The Philly fans' perspective, go on there, give us a subscribe, uh, rate us. Hopefully five stars or more. And also feel free to leave a comment or anything. You can also find us now on Twitter at flying high pod. That's P H L Y I N G high pod. And we're on Facebook. Just search flying high. The Philly fans perspective. Really exciting week coming up and cannot wait for Sunday night. We are going to be back next week with hopefully nothing but it's humongous for the Cowboys signing off. I've been Pete in partnership with my man, Justin. We have been flying high. The Philly fans perspective send request play us out. So tell me what I'm left.